0: You filled your belly. I couldn't make another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play this January the 3rd edition of the show. I am your host Eric Arlinson from lightninginsider.com. You can also find me host of the opening Faceoff show which airs weekday and weekend home games. That's new this year in case you're just catching up. That will air most home games at 4.30. Of course there are some logistical issues that... On occasion, we'll prevent that from happening, but most home games, you can find that show at 4.30. Different format there, while we're pretty interactive on this show and bring in special guests uh, most days and many occasions. The opening face-off show features a player interview as well as a conversation with Bobby the Chief Taylor, so make sure you check out that show. And don't forget the last call post-game show after Road Games myself, and Greg Linnelli have you covered on that end, so we'll be back on the post-game show tomorrow after the game in Ottawa and, of course, the game on Sunday in Carolina as well. All right, we have a lot to cover and go over on today's show, as we usually do want to pick apart a little bit last night's game against the Montreal Canadiens as Tampa Bay did extend their winning streak to a season-high five games, and they've gone on this little run that we expected them to do at some point during the season. We know they needed to do at some point of the season to kind of get themselves out of that rut, if you will, where they were just kind of stuck in limbo for a good portion of the season. So we'll look into that a little bit. Uh, interesting couple of notes, by the way, in regards to last night's game against the Canadians. And are you into conspiracy theories? Hmm. Okay, maybe it's not a conspiracy theory, but we'll touch on one of those uh, interesting stats here in a little bit. Uh, a little bit later in the show, uh, Greg Linnelli will join us from Lightning Power Play Live. Haven't had Greg on much this year as we tend to... Uh, do the last call, as I mentioned, uh, but he's going to join us a little bit later in the show. Always good conversation when Greg is around, and we're going to kind of pick up a little bit of our conversation from last night on the last call involving a big splash move the lighting may or may not make heading towards a trade deadline. Yeah, stick around. We'll, We'll talk about what I mean in that situation as well. So, Um, All right, let's just kind of get right into it with the game last night against the Canadiens. Not a picture-perfect game by any measure. Not a masterpiece. It's not one of these games that we've seen out of this team of late in regards to their puck possession, in regards to... Spending time in the offensive zone, they didn't do a whole lot of that last night, and certainly wasn't anywhere near as lopsided as the game at Emily uh, Emily Arena last week, when Montreal raced out to a two nothing lead and had an 18 to nothing shot advantage in the opening 12 plus minutes of the game. Tampa Bay's first shot on goal in that game didn't come until the 12 25 mark of the first period on a Tyler Johnson shot. Um of course, Tampa Bay came back and won that game, but it wasn't uh, very pretty at all. Uh, and then last night, again, a, a banged up Montreal team who continues to show some fight. Uh, you know, we mentioned yesterday going into the show the players they're missing, including Joel Armia. Brennan Gallagher was the latest one to go down with a concussion. Jonathan Druan has been out. Paul Byron. So they're missing some key players, uh, and yet Montreal's trying to find a way to stay in the race. Um, falling a little bit behind here off the pace. They lost their fourth consecutive game last night, but th- they were they were a team that... You know, and, and John Cooper has said this after the last two meetings against Montreal, that the Canadians are a high-shot-volume team, so he doesn't pay attention a lot necessarily to the amount of shots that the Canadians put up. And they did put up 39 last night. Um, but... They did have the puck a lot, and Tampa Bay didn't have it as much, and uh, certainly not as much as we're used to seeing. You've listened to me over the past month. I've talked about how much their possession game has improved and how much better they have become in that area. You know, they've been basically a 60% possession team, and and by 60%, I mean 60% of the shot attempt volume. That's kind of how we judge that stat Nowadays called Corsi shot attempts. Whatever you want to call it. Um, But Tampa Bay has been very very good in that area over the past month or so. Not so much last night. Didn't have the puck anywhere near as much uh, as they have in previous games. And yet they still find a way to win the game. And here's a couple of big takeaways that that I kind of look at. and, And think about when I look back on last night's game. Good start. First couple of shifts, Tampa Bay had the puck in the offensive zone and were doing some cycling and moving the puck around and actually score 42 seconds into the game as a shot that was originally awarded to Steven Stamkos went to Anthony Sorelli, was changed back to Steven Stamkos and eventually awarded to Anthony Sorelli on a tip of an Eric Cherneck wrist shot um, that put Tampa Bay ahead. Montreal did tie the game right at the end of a power play opportunity. And then Lightning went back ahead on Nikita Kucherov goal as they took advantage of a Carey Price turnover where he basically put the puck on the stick of Braden Point and it ended up uh, with a quick pass over to an open Kucherov on the back post. And that ends up being the winning goal in a 2-1 game. And from there, Montreal had... Um, a fair share of chances in the first and through a good portion of the second period but this was a game okay Andre Vasilevskiy didn't steal a point for Tampa Bay he won them a point i wouldn't say he stole them a point you you see that phrase tossed around quite a bit did finish with 38 saves in the game and he certainly made a couple of great a stops in the first period, but he didn't steal this game, and and this is where I you know some people are probably going to debate me on this. They might think that it's a bit of a different situation, but the this type of game was the type of game Tampa Bay earlier in the year probably may not have gotten two points out of, may not have gotten a point out of, even though they held the lead. Again, we mentioned Kucherov's goal about midway through the first period. They held the lead for the rest of the game. They did not surrender the lead. Now, some of that is because of Vasilevsky for sure. His Scorpion-style save on Max Domi, was an, that was a vintage, if we're, we can use that phrase with a guy who's only been a starter for two years, two-plus years now in his third full year, as a number one guy here. If we can use that phrase with him, just kind of... <laughs> if you look at the replay it's really unbelievable he re- he reads the play he sees Domi uh pretty wide open and at the last second he kind of launches himself just enough to get his right leg in the air and kind of rob Domi of a goal it's just it's a subtle yet unbelievable save when you kind of slow it down and you look at it in slow motion so he did have you know a save or two like that in the early stages of the game. But as as things went on, even though the Lightning didn't have the puck a lot, they didn't they didn't give up a lot. Right? And and I think that's key here. Because this was by the end of this game, they win two to one. Obviously, five straight wins. Was it fourteen consecutive games against division opponents now, which is an unbelievable run. But The way they won this game, in a a game where Montreal didn't put a ton of pressure on Tampa Bay, and I think that was in large part because of how Tampa Bay played, especially in the third period. And, and, you know, I, I had a back and forth with somebody last night who said that they went into a defensive shell. They did not go into a defensive shell. Because they had the puck a, a a little bit in the third period, and they created and they were in the offensive zone a little bit, so they weren't it wasn't a a dump and change game. You heard me refer to a a dump and chase game. Well, sometimes you you get caught into a dump and change game where once you gain the puck, you gain the red line, you dump it in, you change, you let the team come, the opposing team come back the other way. wasn't a ton of that going on. In that game, maybe a little bit uh, as the game went a little bit later into the third period. But when you look at the numbers, and again, going back to the possession numbers. In the third period, at five-on-five play, and of course, Montreal did have a late power play. They pulled the goaltender with about two minutes to go, so a six-on-five for most of the latter few minutes of that period. So that kind of skews the even strength numbers. So this is five-on-five numbers. The shot attempts were only 14-11 to in favor of Montreal. And this is what I look at, too. The high danger chances. You've heard me talk a lot about this. The Lightning are in a situation where this is a big area they're trying to cut down and protect their goaltenders from. And this is the high-danger areas of the ice. In the third period, during five-on-five play, the Lightning did not give up one high-danger chance. And that's something that the coaching staff is going to highlight. And as a whole, only five scoring chances for. Those are really good numbers. When you kind of dig inside a little bit especially the zero high danger chances. So as much as Montreal had the puck in that third period, didn't get a lot on net, didn't get a lot through. I mean, most of that stuff, Tampa Bay kept to the outside. You can look at a heat map, which is something that gives a visual a visualization of where shots are, are coming from. And you look at it, And there's not a ton throughout the entire game really in some of those high danger and chances areas. You know, the Canadians end up with six high danger chances for the game. Four of those came in the middle frame. Again, this is all five on five play. So, that, to me, is not a defensive shell. Now, for the game in total, for the third period in total, because this does include the power play that Montreal had, and it does include the six-on-five, so that's about four minutes, four-plus minutes worth of time <clears throat> where they had an extra skater on the ice. The scoring chances did end up as 26, or the, the shot attempts did end up as 26, and the scoring chances did end up at 10, And those high danger chances were three. But again, that's with an extra skater on the ice. So that is not, to me, the definition of a defensive shell. That, to me, is a bit of an understanding from a team knowing the way they have to play to try and close out a game. And that's important. That's important for a team... Who, going into the season, talked about wanting to change their approach to the game. Not stylistically, just their approach. And as we sit here today, this is the second game Tampa Bay has won by a score of 2-1 to in the past week. And it's the third game this year they have won by a score of 2-1. to And why is that important? Well, last year, last year, for the entire season, and we know this team won 62 games last year, the number of games they won in regulation where there were a combined three or fewer goals scored in a game, they only did it twice. There were some overtime slash shootout games in there You know, we talk about one-goal games and how to close games out. You heard John Cooper talk about that after the game last night. Can this team figure out ways to close out games? Last year, not very good at it. This year, in just comparison, we're not quite to the halfway point of the season. That will actually come with Sunday's game at Carolina at the exact midway point. That is game number 41 for Tampa Bay. But the fact that they've won two of those type of games, the other one was against Detroit on Sunday, different type of way they closed out that game because they had a, the puck a ton, especially in the third period, didn't give Detroit anything. Whereas a game like this, they kept everything on the outside, they protected the middle areas of the ice, and even Alex Kalorn, after the game last night, said, yeah, we. I know we gave up some shots, but... Vasilevsky tells them, "I if you let me see the shot, good chance I'm going to stop it. Just make sure they don't come from those high-danger areas. And that's why I think it's important for the way Tampa Bay closed out that game. What does that mean moving forward? I don't know. Still a half of a season to go. Team still has to maintain... Their playoff position, currently sitting third in the Atlantic. They keep one point ahead of the Florida Panthers, who won in Ottawa last night. Tampa Bay will be in Ottawa tomorrow. They're three points behind Toronto, which found a way to win again. They've improved to, I believe, 14-4-1 is Toronto's record since Sheldon Keefe took over behind the net, or behind the bench, rather. So, we'll see if that sort of mentality can maintain itself in tight games down the stretch in the second half of the year when games do start to tighten up. You know I heard it a lot. offense tends to dry up, and can you defend and and I think that's why that was an important game last night, right? I mentioned the conspiracy theory all right I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, just a little bit of a teaser though because Lightning didn't have a power play last night. Not that they necessarily earned a power play opportunity, and I and I find this funny because I had a Canadiens fan complain to me uh, via Twitter on Saturday that the Lightning were getting preferential treatment from the officials in the game, and this this is another reason why I find this pretty funny. No power plays last night for Tampa Bay. Do you know the last time Tampa Bay did not have a power play? opportunity in a game doesn't happen very often but it did happen one time last year you know when that was April 2nd 2019 in Montreal yes yes two of the last three visits to Bell Center the Lightning have not had a power play opportunity how about that what does it mean and probably nothing but if you've been around the game long enough, you've heard some people use the phrase "Montreal typical." <laughs> Again, I, I'm not I'm not floating conspiracy theories here. But you you hear the phrase "Montreal typical," you know what that means. Usually, Montreal gets the preferential <laughs> treatment when the games are actually in Montreal. So I don't know. Take that for what it is. I I, I don't really read anything into it. Uh just kind of struck me as funny, uh, again, because Montreal had the puck most of the game last night. Uh, as we look back, they had 63% of the shot attempts, 70-40 to 40 were the final numbers on that. Uh, so, again, Tampa Bay didn't necessarily have the puck enough to maybe warrant a power play opportunity. and uh, But there was, you know, it was lopsided. Montreal had three. Tampa Bay had zero. Again, earned penalties and Lightning had. Did they earn any to receive power play opportunities? I don't know. I don't know. Alright, we're going to take our first break here. Um, again, Tampa Bay is in Ottawa tomorrow at 7pm. Leave uh, leave your digital radio locked in right here to Lightning Power Play. Greg Lanelli has Lightning Power Play live. Tomorrow at 5.30, also has Power Play Live tonight at 6. But Tampa Bay is in Ottawa tomorrow. Dave Michigan, Kelly Chelios on that call for you. Sunday's game, by the way, in Carolina is a 5 p.m. start. Uh, You've heard me mention this before, but uh, that, that game, just be weary of that game because scheduled loss is something you might have heard me talk about before uh, with a game in Ottawa the night before the long ride from the airport or to the airport from the rink, which if you basically say Lakeland to Tampa international, that's about how far the rink is. It's out in a suburb uh, called Canada. So it takes a while to get to the airport. The team has to clear customs. It's not a short flight from Ottawa to Raleigh. The team is going to get in late and turn around have to play a 5 o'clock game. So just just be weary of that since this is the last time we're going to talk until Monday on this show. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the World Juniors. I'm going to give you the update of what's going on over there. It's a quiet day today at the World Juniors. It's the quarterfinals were yesterday. The semifinals will be held tomorrow. The gold medal game will be Sunday. And there are still two lightning prospects involved in this tournament. So we're going to talk about that when we come back right after this.
0: Oh, we've got more Lightning talk for you. Unbelievable. Get a heaping helping of hockey with Lightning Lunch. It's your window to wait game. On Lightning Power Play.
1: Welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Rolinson from lightninginsider.com, your host, getting you set for this weekend's final two games of this four-game road trip tomorrow night. They're in Ottawa to face the Senators, the third of four meetings this season, and they'll finish off their season series with the Carolina Hurricanes on Sunday. That is a 5 p.m. start, of course. All of that can be heard right here on Lightning Power Play. Tampa Bay returns home for a brief two-game home trip that will start on Tuesday against the Vancouver Canucks. All right, we told you we're going to talk a little bit about the World Juniors, uh, as we have here for most of this week. And since the tournament started on Boxing Day, quarterfinals finished off yesterday. The no upsets really. When you kind of come down to it, uh, Canada beat Slovakia six to one. Russia beat Sweden four to one. Sorry, Russia beat Switzerland three to one. And then Sweden knocked off a Czech Republic 5-0. I guess the only one you might consider a bit of an upset would be the Finnish team knocking off Team USA 1-0. Again, these are all knockout games. So the quarterfinals are done. All the teams that lost end up going home. The semifinals are set now. That'll take place uh, actually tomorrow uh, over in the Czech Republic. The first game at 9 a.m. Eastern will be Sweden against Russia. And then at 1 o'clock, it'll be Canada against Finland. And there are two lightning prospects involved in the semifinals here. Uh, Still alive, looking for some hardware, some neckwear, some metal to hang around their neck Uh, as we look ahead to this. And we'll start, first of all, with Nolan Foote. You know, when we talked yesterday, we had mentioned that Nolan Foote only played one shift in that game against Slovakia. He was ejected uh, on his opening shift for what was then called a illegal head contact, neck contact for a hard hit he delivered uh, in the offensive zone that was ruled a five minutes major and a game misconduct, which is an ejection, and... You know, the standards are much different in the double IHF compared to the NHL or some other leagues that we're used to discussing uh, here that we're used to watching, certainly in North America. And that was the reason probably why he was kicked out because you go back and you look at it and you think, eh, not too bad of a hit when you kind of slow it down. But the thing with the double IHF, and you see this a lot, so not only is the standard on the ice so much different and there's less leeway when it comes to those type of plays where they deem any sort of head contact whatsoever, you're going to you know, see more stricter penalties for plays like this. And any head contact uh, at the IHF level, especially in this tournament, normally results in an automatic ejection from the game. So that's what they ruled yesterday. The good news is that Nolan Foote will not receive any extra supplementary discipline. So there is no suspension. So he will be eligible to participate in the semifinal game, uh, again, tomorrow at 1 o'clock for Team Canada. And if you followed the Canadian team at all, and we've talked about it here a little bit on this show because of Nolan Foote being a part of the team, he has a... When he was drafted, when the, when the Lightning drafted him back in June one thing that Al Murray talked a lot about was his shot, how NHL-ready his shot was. Well, we have definitely, definitely seen this in this tournament because it's been on display big time. He has scored three goals in this tournament. Two of them have come from uh, his one-timer from the right circle, or the Nikita Kucherov circle, if you will. And it's just been a brilliant shot. And even his other goal, which came in the middle slot, was a bar down shot. So you can see how heavy and how quickly he gets that shot off. He is, I mean, you can tell that that shot is definitely NHL ready. Is his game NHL ready? Probably not. Still some things to work on, particularly his skating but you've seen how strong he can be in this tournament. And that's why this, this type of tournament is a good precursor to potentially how players can play down the road. It doesn't always result in a player having success here and then going on to the NHL level. But it's a it's a indicator of what could happen. And with Foot, again, this is an under-20 tournament. So he is against the best players of his age group at this tournament, most of them. And he's performing well. And we didn't get a chance to see him in a pressure situation in terms of an elimination game because, again, he was only out there for one shift before he was ejected. But now we're going to get to see him play in the semifinals uh, against Finland, which is, um, I think it's key because now, now he gets two more games. That's the one thing. Once you make it to the semifinals, you're guaranteed two more games. So the two teams that lose the semifinals will play on Saturday or on Sunday, pardon me, for a bronze medal. Of course, obviously the two teams that win will go on to play for a gold medal. But the two teams that do uh, end up losing the semifinals will play for a bronze. So we know that Nolan Foote is going to play for a medal. And that's, uh, you You can't replicate those type of experiences in those pressure situations. Uh, you know, having talked to Matthew Joseph and Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli, Mitchell Stevens, all have taken place in gold medal games. Stephen Stamkos uh, as well back in 2008. Uh, so Nolan Foot will have an opportunity to compete for a medal starting this weekend. Now, the other players still alive. We mentioned yesterday, Max Sikovic. His tournament is done with Slovakia after the loss to Canada. But Hugo Alnefelt is still alive as well. He has been the main goaltender for Sweden here in this tournament to date. He did have the start yesterday in their game against the Czech Republic. And uh, the home team... Look, there's always some home ice advantage in some of these tournaments. Saw how crazy the Czech fans were in their preliminary round game. Uh, First of all, when they beat Russia to open the tournament. And then during their game against the U.S., which is a very spirited game, back and forth, ended up winning by the U.S. in overtime. But Alnafelt was in net, and he pitched the shutout yesterday. He finished the game with 23 saves, so he stopped all 23 shots. And, you know, there hasn't been too many Lightning goaltenders who have found their way in these tournaments, historically anyway. Dustin Tokarski comes to mind. The Lightning drafted Yaroslav Giannis, but he was already kind of established himself in the World Juniors. He was drafted a year after his first year of eligibility. Connor, Connor Ingram was on that same team that had Sorelli, Stevens, and Joseph a couple of years ago. Carter Hart ended up getting most of the playing time in that tournament, but Ingram got some playing time. But now you got Anafelt, who has already led his nation to a gold medal in the under-18s last summer, is now the guy for Sweden here at the World Juniors. And again, you cannot replicate these situations. He has started all but one of the games for the Swedes to this point. So if you have a chance on Saturday when Sweden will play Russia, and that should be a fun game, that'll be the 9 o'clock game. So you got to get up a little early, at least by my standards. You got to get up a little early, but make sure you check out the Sweden-Russia game. First of all, it should be a great game Russia's looked up and down in this tournament. Pummeled the Canadians, 6 to nothing. Lost at home, or lost to the home team, the Czech Republic. Lost to the U.S. Beat Switzerland 3-1 to one yesterday. They were a pre-tournament favorite by some. Wondered what they were going to end up doing after a little bit of a slow start. But they will face Sweden at 9 a.m. That can be seen on NHL Network. And then at 1 o'clock... Check out Canada. And Nolan Foody wears number 29 for the Canadians if you have an opportunity. Again, that's a 1 p.m. puck drop that will also be broadcast on the NHL network as they take on Finland. Finland is the defending gold medal champion. They knocked off the U.S. last year in overtime. So it's two straight years now the Finns have knocked out the U.S. Uh, And that should be a fun game too. The Finns are always a tough team. They're always a tough team to play. They know how to play a gritty style of game. They know how to play in these type of situations when it starts to become elimination games. Last year, you know, there's no big names that jump out at you. There's no Patrick Laine this year. There's no Capo Caco this year, the number two overall pick by the Rangers this past year. So there's no huge names that jump out at you, but they always know how to play and perform in these situations. So that's your World Junior recap. Again, Sweden and Russia at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. That'll be followed at 1 o'clock by Canada and Finland. Uh, two of the three Lightning prospects are still alive in that tournament. So something for Lightning fans to keep an eye on and to follow and you know, get a glimpse of what could be down the road. I, I don't think there's any doubt that Nolan Foote will be at the NHL at some point within the next couple of years. Goalies are a little different. But I know I saw something earlier this year, I think it was the hockey news, projected each team's roster five years out. And Alnafelt was listed as the backup. So there are some who believe that he will make his way to the NHL as well. And this is certainly a great, great training ground training ground for him. All right, we are going to take our second break here right now. You are listening to Lightning Lunch on Lightning Power Play. When we come back, I'll be joined by my good friend, Greg Linnelli from Lightning Power Play Live, also the pregame and postgame uh, intermission host for the broadcast as well. So uh, stick around. We've got some good conversation with Greg coming up. We'll do that right
0: after this. Can't get enough Lightning Talk? Log on to lightninginsider.com for more puck pontification. Oh, if 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 uh if if if, 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 yes. if we if, Oh, if Oh, look, it's quite simple. More Lightning Lunch with Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play.
1: All right, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com. Your host. Uh, hope you enjoy the World Junior recaps that we give you. Uh, don't forget the semifinals. Of course, are coming up tomorrow. Both uh, two of the three Lightning prospects anywhere are involved in these semifinals. Hugo Alnfelt to a Sweden, and as we mentioned, Nolan Foot with Team Canada. But we're going to switch our attention uh, a little bit around again to uh, the Lightning and maybe some league talk topics as we welcome in good friend of the show. You hear him on lightning power play live on the pregame show intermission reports and of course my co-host on the last call it's greg Linnelli. greg uh, again happy new year to you we can still do this right it's we're still in new year's week we can do that
2: i think so i think it's fair game at least to the end of the week
1: okay well this is the end of the week so this will be the last time um all right, Tampa Bay is coming off of the, the victory last night against Montreal, 2-1. to one. I know we discussed a lot of this on the last call, but I think some of it's worth bringing up uh, again a little bit. Just how encouraged are you by a game like that from Andre Vazileski? We know he's had his ups and downs. The numbers are far off from what we're used to seeing out of him with a save percentage hovering around 2.8, uh, or uh, goals against a save percentage, Closer to 900 than 910. That's not areas we're used to seeing him. But when you see him put together a game like that, uh, especially the way he played in the first period, is how encouraging of a sign is that moving forward for this team?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's. I'm stating the obvious when it's when I'm saying it's it's pretty big. And you know, for me, I, I always like to use the eye test before I take a look at some statistics from a specific game. And you just felt like Vassy passed the eye test like he did last year on most occasions. Made a lot of big saves. Was Really uh, good in tight spaces. Max Domi was denied a couple of different times. And I think it's the, the type of outing you have to get from Vasilevsky from time to time if this team wants to win a Stanley Cup. It didn't happen in the playoff series against Columbus last year. He wasn't as good as we saw him in the in the regular season. And that was unfortunate because he was so good during that time. I think he's been the best goaltender in the game over the last two years, certainly in the top three. Hasn't been that way this year, but it looks like maybe he's slowly starting to get his game righted, and that's okay if he hasn't figured it out right now. You want him to be peaking-y come playoff time or towards the end of the regular season, and maybe we're starting to see him turn some things around, and I think that's good news for everybody involved.
1: Yeah, I don't wonder if we're not seeing. You know, we talked a lot about the build up with the team, right? Like this process, and I and I people are probably sick of me saying that word so often here during the first half of the year. But uh, you know, I I think it's true. I, I think maybe he is building his game up. Because he has to adapt. you know. I've said this before. As the team adapts to a new concept to play or a new approach to playing the game, I think he has to have a different and adapt his approach to the game as well. There are some games where he's only seeing 20, 21 shots on goal. Certainly wasn't the case last night. That's a higher volume. I think he prefers the higher volume. I think he's been on record in saying that. But I think he has to learn to play all different kinds of styles of game. And I don't wonder if that's part of what Vasilevsky's uh, ups and downs have been just as the teams have been.
2: Yeah, and I think some of that too is, is probably the, the mental side of the game more than the physical side of the game, getting your, yourself in a situation where you have to be mentally into the game if you're only facing five or six shots per period on average in a situation that um, you just talked about. So, uh, you know, he's a young goaltender, and uh, he hasn't figured everything out. I think it's been impressive what he's been able to accomplish so far in the NHL. The interesting thing is, too, I think teams are probably adjusting to his goaltending. There's a book on him now. I I think he's going to have to adjust a bit more. We've seen teams... It it seems like every goaltender that struggles a bit, it's glove side, isn't it? You Yeah. uh, And I think he's probably learning that a bit, but um, he's still really good, and uh, the game last night, I think, just reinforced. When he's on, he's really tough to beat, and the Lightning become instant Stanley Cup contenders, in my opinion.
1: Well, and especially if they're going to defend the way they did in the third period, uh, I, I, you know, against Montreal to, to close that game out. it's I think that's an, something we didn't really touch on a whole lot during the last call. But I think just the way that they really kept everything, like you, you talk about the eye test versus the numbers test, right? And and sometimes, you know, as, as our good friend, um, Lightning Man, who is as pessimistic as they come and love him for it. But he said that the Lightning got lucky in this game. And, you know, it kind of had that feel in some ways. But when you kind of dig into the numbers a little bit in the third period, like he he thought that they went into a shell in the third period. I don't think they went into a shell. They certainly didn't have the puck as much as they wanted to. But when you look at the numbers, and if the team is going to defend this way in close games and you have to learn to win close games and you have to learn to do it the right way, the shot attempts in the third were only 14 to 11 at at even strength. And the scoring chances were only seven to five in favor of Montreal. And the Lightning gave up zero high danger chances. And if anybody's not familiar again with those high danger chances I talk about a lot, it's that home plate area from the posts out. To give up zero high danger chances, I think is an idea of what you're seeing, a commitment to making sure that you're playing the right way. So if you can get the type of goaltending that Vasilevsky gave them tonight and then have that mentality when the game is close to be able to close it out, I think that's a really good formula for a team that already knows how to score goals.
2: Yeah, it's. I think it's a different mindset. It's wanting to get prepared or be prepared for the playoffs once they roll around that you need to play with a certain type of desperation. So. That's learning from last year, I think. It's also probably learning from this year when they were out of a playoff spot, which seemed like um, for an extended period of time, now they're obviously in third place, which is um, a nice spot to be in. But I think all of that is a a good learning experience for this team. And if you see that type of effort in the third period and the second period, more times than not, I think this Lightning team, they're going to be winning points more than they lose. And uh, that was good to see last night.
1: Yeah. And and what they talked about earlier in the year, right, was they were finding ways to lose games instead of finding ways to win games. I think last night was a perfect example. They found a way to win a game. They weren't the best. They know that Uh, they're certainly not hiding from that. Uh, But they they found a way to win the game where maybe earlier in the year. They probably maybe they don't win this game, or maybe they lose a point in overtime. You know, because they didn't know how to close the game out, and uh, I I think that's an an important factor in this whole process too is learning to win games like this.
2: Yeah, and you know I, I've I've said this before. I know you kind of agree with it. It's hard to win, and it's hard to play a 60 minute game. I don't think those really exist. I think you could play well for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe even 50. But the other team's going to have a push at some point. Even a team like the Red Wings they're going to have some sort of push. And it's what you do with that push that I think oftentimes dictates who's going to win or who's going to lose. And I think during this win streak, during these Atlantic Division games, the Tampa Bay's won 13 games consecutively, they've done enough during those pushbacks to not feel like the game is getting away. And they've made enough plays to earn two points on most nights here over the last couple of weeks. So that's all encouraging. And uh, sometimes you have to win games when you don't play your best. Last night was one of those, but you don't have to apologize for it.
1: No, not at all. Not at all. Um, again, Greg Linelli joins us here on Lightning Lunch as we recap last night's game against Montreal. Look ahead to the weekend against Ottawa and Carolina with back-to-back games. And Greg, it was a week and a half ago. Just before Christmas, we talked about how important the stretch of six consecutive games against the division is. You just referenced now the 13 consecutive. That <laughs> This still blows my mind. 13 consecutive wins within the division for this team. Um, so there are four games now into this or five games into the division stretch. Um, with one more game left on Saturday against Ottawa. How impressed have you been in everything that we talked about in the situations? I mean, how many times did we use must win to sort of set up some of these games here, and they've come through it. They're, they're a perfect 5-0, and having won a season-high five consecutive games through the first five against division opponents.
2: Yeah, it's impressive because we just didn't see that type of consistency leading up to this stretch. So you were asking yourself the question, could they do it under these circumstances? And they did. You know, it's amazing what you do when your back's against the wall. And Tampa Bay's was. I mean, you're out of a playoff spot. And, you know, a lot of people looked at uh, American Thanksgiving, and they talk about, well, if you're out of a playoff spot, at that point it's really hard to get into the playoffs. And then we kept kind of pushing that back a bit because Tampa Bay wasn't, and we wanted to see if it fit the narrative that we were talking about. But the team was talking about it. You know, they hadn't picked up points that uh, these games mattered. They needed to be really good on this trip. And they have been. And I think that's a sign of a team that's playing well at the right time. I think it's a sign of a team that's won a lot of playoff games over the years. I don't think yep. there was a ton of panic. I'm sure they were disappointed. But something you've always brought up, that metrically, this is a team that was doing some things similar to last year. They just weren't being rewarded. And I think all of that gave them some sort of positive reinforcement. And then let's face it, some of the teams they're, they're taking on right now during this five-game-one streak, you know, it's not Toronto, it's not Boston. So take advantage of it. And I think all of those things have allowed them to be in this position.
1: Yeah, you know, and look, I mean, the one game was against Florida, and then Florida was ahead of them at the time. Uh, Montreal came out of the break having won three consecutive games. Now all of a sudden they're in in free fall having lost four straight, two of those uh, against Tampa Bay. Um, you know so you still have some matchups with the Bruins still to come you still have some matchups with Toronto to come but the second half of the schedule is going to lighten up at least in terms of the strength of schedule if you will and I know we had this conversation before that strength of schedule can change depending on how a team's playing coming into the game Um, but I, I I'm just I'm just still blown away that they've won 13 consecutive games within the division I don't think I've ever seen a situation like that in the number of years uh, that I have covered this team and covered the NHL. Even last year, I, I, as many games as they won, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't have this kind of a streak uh, within the division. So very impressive at a time where they really needed to kind of put some wins together. They've come through with it for sure. Um, tomorrow night, Ottawa, we saw what happened. Um, you know, the two the two meetings between these two teams this year, the Senators outworked and outplayed Tampa Bay in that first meeting. That was pre-Sweden. Obviously, uh, the Senators were here uh, not too long ago. That was the game where Nikita Kucherov ended up being benched, and they didn't play as well in that game. That was one of those ones where the turnovers came back to bite them. So everything we just said about the sixth-game stretch. this is the sixth game uh, against the Atlantic Division opponent, what is it that Tampa Bay has to make sure they correct against this Ottawa team to extend the streak to 14 within the division and six overall?
2: Don't make any egregious turnovers. You know, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty simple. Don't give Ottawa an opportunity to feel like they can play on the same ice as you. Tampa Bay is the superior team, Eric. We know that. And we also know that when Tampa Bay is not playing well and they have some giveaways that teams like Ottawa and Detroit can capitalize on those moments. So if you're Tampa Bay, try and have the start you had in the game against Montreal, against Ottawa, make them play from behind, but don't turn the puck over. Don't make egregious turnovers. I think you do that, you should win, I don't want to say comfortably, but you know, if they win by more than two goals, I'd feel pretty confident that's how the outcome would, would be.
1: And I think the one thing we've learned from the two meetings against the Senators this year, they're not the weak team everybody thought they were going to be. I know they're close to the bottom of the standings, and that's not the unexpected part, but they work hard. If you do not come ready to work, they will outwork you, and they can burn you. They don't have anywhere near the depth of talent, for sure, that, say, a Tampa Bay has or a lot of other teams in the league have, but they have a guy like Anthony Declair, and we saw it in the meeting here in Amelie in, uh, Arena a couple of weeks back, he can burn you. And if you're going to feed them the puck, if you're going to create offense for them – and look, I remember that was a tie game in the third period. In the first meeting against Ottawa, Luke Witkowski had actually tied the game. Uh, and then it was uh, a failed play by Braden Coburn trying to glove down the puck that led to the game-winning goal. You have to come ready and be aware. Don't think that just because they're the Ottawa Senators – you're, gonna, you're just going to throw your sticks on the ice and beat them. You better come ready to play.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're going to try and outwork you. That's what Ottawa's going to do. And if they're not outworking, they're going to try and beat you up. They've got some guys there that um, are pretty chippy. We know about Kachuk, and um, I feel like he's a guy, I think Dave Mishkin made the analogy, kind of like what Sorelli does for the Lightning. He's going to pull you into the battle, and he's yep. going to force guys to play with some intestinal fortitude. Kachuk plays to the very end, and so I think you have to keep that in mind. It's going to be chippy in Ottawa. There's no doubt about it. Again, uh, they're a team that feels maybe like they can play with Tampa Bay in some some shape or form.
0: So the Lightning have to be
2: ready for that. Could it be a letdown game? Maybe. Maybe. I don't think we'd be completely surprised if Tampa Bay had a letdown, but you got a real opportunity to win 14 straight games against Atlantic Division teams and uh, it'd be a shame if you waste that against uh, a team like Ottawa.
1: Yeah for sure. Uh, you don't want to let down game against Ottawa because you get that tough game the next night in Carolina on Sunday. Uh, I'm telling you that's I that's a tough tough thing for the league to do to the Lightning. I know other teams kind of go through some of these situations but you know, they're going to have to get out of Ottawa where it's a good 40, 45 minutes from the rink to the airport. You got to clear customs and you got to turn around and play a 5 p.m. game the next day. You know what they call those, Greg? Scheduled losses. So you better not have a letdown against Ottawa tomorrow night because um, anything, anything, if you can get anything out of that game on Sunday, you feel really, really good about yourself. All right. Again, we're joined here by Greg Linnelli on Lightning Lunch. Um, and, Greg, we talked about this a little bit last night on the last call, and I want to bring it up again in case anybody missed that conversation. You and I were both tagged in a tweet, I believe from Bob, a uh, frequent listener to the station here, in regards to rumors involving PK Subban and the potential interest from Tampa based perspective um, – a rumor site that I will not mention because I don't want to give them any publicity here on the station, but, you know, a guy like P.K. Subban, big name, big personality, I, I'm not convinced he's a good fit. What are, What are your thoughts on just that, even... I don't think it's going to come to fruition, but it's fun to talk about, so what do you think about the possibility of Tampa Bay exploring even a trade that big, even if it's not P.K. Subban?
2: Well, you know, the the Subban thing is interesting. You, t- you brought up a good point about The cap issues, and I think that's where probably the conversation would stop if you were to even think about bringing in a guy like Subban from the Devils. Clearly, the Devils want to get rid of him and that contract, and I think that's the reason why they'd be willing to listen to anybody. I'm all all for going big at the trade deadline. You're talking about somebody who wanted to go after Artemi Panarin at the trade deadline last year. Subban, I think the only way this is remotely possible is if, to your point, the Devils were to pick up the maximum contract that they would allow, which would be 50%, and even then, Tampa Bay's probably shipping out one or maybe even two regulars from their NHL roster. I'm not sure they'd want to do that at this point, but let's have fun and say they did. You know, is P.K. Subban at this point in his career being kind of shipped around the last couple of times, a motivated athlete that would come to Tampa Bay... Understanding that he wouldn't have to be the guy, just have to play a role, and then knowing that you know, uh, in a year or two, you could you could go sign somewhere else uh, for big money if if they choose to keep uh, PK two years, I believe, after this year on the roster. Again, with the Devils picking up fifty percent of that contract, uh, it probably doesn't happen. I mean, Julian Breeze would have to make a lot of things uh, work for that to happen. But I'm not going to poo-poo it. Because I like, like the thought process. I like bringing in a guy who I still think has elite skill. He has been injured, and I think that would be a concern. Has he hit a wall? But Stu Callen from the Montreal Gazette felt like um, if he's healthy, there's still a lot of good hockey left in Subban, and that anybody who would get a guy like that at the trade deadline, assuming that the Devils make a move, they'd be getting a motivated athlete and sometimes those are always the most productive or dangerous athletes when you're talking about productive ones.
1: Yeah, I, I could see that, that aspect, uh, you know, not to mention the relationship between him and Steven Stamkos. They played on some youth teams growing up in the Toronto area, uh, a couple of stacked teams that also included John Tavares uh, as well. You can imagine playing against those youth teams back in the day. So there, there's some, uh, some history, if you want to say that, in, in terms of what he could potentially bring personality-wise to the room. But here's another thing, and I, and I didn't bring this up last night because it, it's a thought that just occurred to me here as we're talking. Um, is is P.K. Subban motivated, you know, and and maybe a change of scenery in, in coming to a team who could uh, contend for a Stanley Cup? Could that be a motivator? He could kind of slide in. And I don't know P.K. Subban that well, just the stories that I've read and and some of the situations that we've read about him through the years. I don't know if P.K. Subban is capable of kind of being in the background and that's not a knock against him. But if he's asked to play a reduced role, is he okay with that? You know, he's a guy who's always he likes the spotlight. He's a big personality. He he likes that uh, about him and the camera's go to find him because he, he always has a willingness to talk to us in the media uh, and everything. And, and certainly he can fill our notebooks um, and our, our video recorders for sure. Uh, but is this personality almost too big for this team? And then I rem- remember this thought came into my head a couple years ago when the All-Star game, actually it was last year, the All-Star game was in San Jose. And after the All-Star game aired on Friday night, they had this live show this like talk show atmosphere with PK Subban, and then you had the PK Project, which was another show that was airing on NBC. Is, is where where is his head at right now? Is his head more concerned about his post playing potential career, or is his head still where it needs to be as a top level guy who's won a Norris Trophy in this league? I, I don't. Know, I'm I'm talking out loud here a little bit, but those are some things that would also kind of throw up some red flags for me.
2: Yeah, and I, I think here's the thing though, I, I, and everything you just said, you know, Julian Breeswell would have to uh, do his research and check all that out, and and make sure that uh, it wouldn't be a problem. I think for P.K. Subban, um, there's always that risk. So you, you never know how he would react. But I, I do, I would get the sense that this would be a guy whose ego would be hit a bit again after being dealt. And you come to the Tampa Bay Lightning, you're not asking him to be here for four years. You know, maybe most a couple. And then you can figure out what you want to do with him maybe in the last year of his deal. But maybe you get P.K. Subban for, even if it's a half a year, a playoff run or maybe even if it's a full year, at his best one more time, the question becomes, is it worth it? I think it brings up a bigger question, Do you think Julian Breezois is looking at this and saying, you know what? We haven't won one yet, and we can talk about preserving the future all we want, but until we win one, I'm not going to do that, and I need to go all in to get that one for this core group of players that we've talked so much about. How big does Julian Breezois go if at all, at the trade deadline? Because he talked about it, and you were there, as was I. You take a look at a lot of these trades at the deadline. They really haven't been good ones, have they? But you wonder if he'll be inclined to do something and maybe even go a bit big.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting sort of insight there. Um, You know, I I think history will show you, though, that we really only remember the trades that lead to a Stanley Cup. We don't remember the multitude of other trades that teams make that don't lead to the Cup. Uh, you know, I, we think – I mean, Braden Coburn was involved in one of those. The Atlanta Thrashers pulled off a deal where they traded Braden Coburn, who was a top-ten pick at the time for Alexei Zitnik for a half season of Alexei Zitnik and it got them zero playoff wins. You know, so those are the kind of things that I think probably Julian is referencing. But I also don't wonder if the way last year finished, if that isn't a little fresh in his mind too, right? Like, he didn't do anything at the trade deadline. He didn't make any moves at the trade deadline. And uh, I don't wonder if that isn't something that kind of sticks out in his mind as well. So um, I I give him credit though, because I think whether this rumor is true or not, and I I tend not to put a whole lot of credence into it, but if it is true, it it gives you some insight into how he is thinking that he's he's encompassing everything, right? He's encompassing, okay, what, what would a big splash do? What would a big push trade do? Or, what would a minor trade do? Or, what would no trade do? I think he already has the uh, potential of understanding what no moves means to his team, especially for this core in particular. But, um, you know, I don't wonder uh, if it, it, at least he's covered his bases, right? I, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. He's exploring all avenues to try and help this team become a Stanley Cup winner. And to your point about, You can protect the future all you want, and you want to do that. You want to have the ability to win cups every single year. You want to be a contender every single year. But we know changes are going to start coming a little bit more rapidly than they have the last couple of years because of the cap situation and some of these players on longer-term deals that have higher salaries. To keep an Anthony Sorelli, it might cost you another player. In fact, we know it's probably going to cost you another player. So uh, a very interesting approach is does that mean this is definitely an all-in year from Julian's perspective where maybe you're more willing to give up maybe a couple more assets than maybe you would have been at this point last year? Uh, You have a second first-round draft pick that you can play around with with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, The deal they made with J.T. Miller involving J.T. Miller at the draft. Um, so very, very curious and very interested to kind of see where this all goes um, here in the next uh, about a month and a half. We're about probably six weeks or so from the trade deadline. So definitely going to keep an eye on this. Uh, again, Greg Linnelli joins us from Lightning Power Play Live. And, and last subject I want to bring up here with you, Greg. Sunday's game is game number 41. It's the halfway point of the season. So just a quick thought on what you've seen from this team through the first half of the regular season.
2: You know, inconsistent, but trending upwards. And I think that's probably fair to say. I also think you've had some guys who can get to another level, specifically Braden Point. I think he's a guy that um, maybe the second half of the year, he really turns it on a bit. And I think the unknown, you know, what are you going to get at the trade deadline? What type of help are you going to get from Julian Breeze? But I think it's been inconsistent, trending upwards with some guys who typically perform very well. Getting an opportunity to kick it into high gear and and get going again in the second half of the season.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch to see how this whole process sort of comes together. John Cooper's even used the word "we have a plan" in place, and I, and I think we're starting to see this build up to this team. I know we talked about it a lot there in the opening part uh, of this segment, but. Um, very interesting days indeed. I, I kind of look at it the same way you do. I think some inconsistent play, but I think learning to play a different mentality. And we've heard Stephen Stamkos mention it as soon as game number three of the year when they were in Carolina. And he was saying they can't continue to play this way and they have to be better and, and more responsible with the puck. Um, we've seen flashes of it. We've seen less um Times this year, especially in the last couple of weeks, to where turnovers have really been costly. Uh, the, the Kucherov situation—the last time they faced Ottawa—stands out, obviously, for a lot of reasons. But I think they're they're trending. They're becoming more of a team they want and you know we both heard julian say it as well they want to be a team that knows how to win in the postseason and that's a team again that's had a lot of playoff success with this core you know three uh conference finals and one stanley cup final that's a lot of success a team has had but now they're trying to learn to play maybe a little bit more of a different mentality and uh, i think that's where things are headed all right um Greg, I really appreciate you kind of helping me out today and uh, getting this show uh, on the road and uh, closing things out here on the week. It's been a pretty successful week for Tampa Bay. I know you've got uh, Power Play Live coming up at 6. Who's your guest tonight?
2: Yep, we're going to have Jason Cullimore on, and uh, we'll get Cully's thoughts on the game last night and this winning streak, and has Tampa Bay turned the corner? So we'll talk to Cully about that.
1: Yeah, it's always good conversation. It's never bad to have a former Stanley Cup champion as your guest, is it?
2: That's always fun. Very yeah, fortunate. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Cully's a good guy. All right, uh, Greg, again, thanks for your time. We really, really appreciate it here on Lightning Lunch. Uh, that is going to wrap up today's show. Uh, thanks, everybody, as always, for listening in and, and uh, giving us your thoughts and your feedback. Uh, again, Tampa Bay is back in action tomorrow night. It's a 7 p.m. game uh, against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, pre-game show starts at 6.30. Greg will be on the airways at 5.30 tomorrow night. 6 o'clock tonight, but 5.30 tomorrow night. With Lightning Power Play Live, Dave Michigan, Kelly Chelios will have that call for you uh, from uh, Ottawa. And, of course, Sunday against the Carolina Hurricanes. Don't forget me and Greg will be back with the last call after tomorrow night's game. Uh, So stick around after the game and make sure you pick all that up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll be back with Lightning Lunch on Monday. So until then,
0: bye-bye, everybody.